the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab for Sunday, September 9th, 2012, show 416. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send in your questions, we provide some answers. You send in your tips, we provide some tips of our own. And sometimes if we have time, and sometimes we have a lot of time, we do a little thing we call Cool Stuff Found. Here, high atop the TMO Towers East in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Brown. In the morning to you, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, scheduling uh, has forced us, not forced us, has, uh, well, okay, it's forced us to do this show in the morning on Sunday as opposed to Sunday evening. We have a full chat room. I'd like to say hi to everybody in the chat room. Uh, thanks for joining us off schedule today. Nice to see some recurring people and nice to see some new people that don't usually make it on Sunday evenings. So. But uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, you've got some stuff going on tonight and tomorrow and it's been, uh, it's been a crazy week. Right. I'm going to apologize right out of the gate, John, for my, my voice. Um, this week has been nuts. You know, as I said, we, in fact, we recorded the last show early while well, I went away to family camp where we sleep in cabins and we don't get a whole lot of, you know, it's not restful sleep like you would get at home. As soon as we got home, I actually, the first thing I did was I pushed show 415 live. And then starting about four in the afternoon, uh, Adam Christensen, who works with us on the back end, and I started the, uh, the Herculean task of migrating the Mac Observer from its existing design and engine to the new design that you see today and engine. And we did that for about 12 hours. So 4 a.m. or so I got to sleep. I think Adam got to sleep at about 8 a.m. Eastern. Slept a couple hours, did that. Then I went to see Madonna that night, which was awesome. And uh, but it was more bug fixing and, you know, triage and all that stuff on the site all week. I had a gig on Thursday, went and saw Rush Friday night. Still more triage yesterday. I played two gigs of my own um, and now I'm here. So I haven't slept and I've completely abused my throat. So we'll see how much all this cool processing stuff I have here helps get us through the show. How was your week, John? Wow. Look at that new site. Isn't that great? Look at that. Oh, look at everybody's pictures there. Everybody looking so serious. Wow. Like it. I love the site. Uh, the, the prime directive of the new site was was clean, simple. And and here's the thing about it. It drives me crazy. The web has changed, right? It drives me crazy to visit a website and especially not the homepage. Not so bad. But if I click on an article, it's it's insane to me that. And of course, at TMO, we used to we used to have this problem, but we fixed it. Uh, it's insane to me to look at. Uh, to, to load a web page for an article, clearly expressing the intent of wanting to read the article. And the top half of the page is cluttered with navigation to take me somewhere else. It, it's that, that to me is insane. So in this design process, that was kind of one of the first things we dealt with was, okay, let's just get people the article. And then if they express intent to go somewhere else, either scrolling down to the bottom or using the little cool little, what are you looking for bar that we put at the top? Uh, you now can find other places to go, but if you click on an article, my assumption is you wanted to read the article. So that was one of the kind of the prime directives of the site. So I hope everybody likes it anyway. Sorry, John. 
I'm, I'm ranting here. How was your week? All right. Well, let's get back on track here. Why don't we start with, uh, well, I didn't do much. I, I went to a, a gathering. Somebody, uh, there, there's some links to some pictures there. There was a gr- actual garage band. I thought that was kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and car parts and uh, all sorts of things. Yeah, different people would shift in and out of different roles, mostly guitar and uh, and uh, percussion. But. Cool. All right, Jerry. Yeah, should take I, it. Should I yeah, yeah. Should yeah. I grab the reins? Grab the reins and go, please. Grab all the right. reins and go. This is the first one. I like this one. Okay, so this is from Jerry. Hi, Dave and John. Dave and John. Something has been bothering me for a while now, and it has to do with my Mac returning my daughter's name. Uh, we won't reveal his daughter's name, or can we? No, we'll leave it out. We'll, we'll leave it out. Because um, <laughs> that's what we want to do in dialogue messages like this one. I happen to be looking around in the new messages app in Mountain Line when this message popped up. Um, and this is something that you see if you go into messages, uh, like I said here, in the, uh, the preferences or account preferences, I believe this is where you will see this message. Um, and it'll say messages can use Bonjour to exchange messages and files with people on your local network. They will be able to browse for you as insert name daughter's name here. Right. Yeah. Now the problem, well, the problem I guess Jerry was having is that he is not his daughter. He is, he is Jerry. So he didn't, well, he, he was just wondering why, why is this happening? And, and that actually had me scratching my head too, because, uh, and he said he looked in user accounts, so he said what he tried to do. So he's looked in user accounts, but I only have three accounts and uh, an admin account, I guess a Jerry account, and then a default guest account. So no, so no account with his daughter's name. Right, which, huh? So and where's he getting it from? Too. Yeah. And that's a good question. So, so there are a number of names that, that you are given depending on what you're doing. So one, of course, is your account name, and he looked in the right place to get that. There are two other names. Well, at least one other name. So here's where I thought it was going to be, Dave, because it mentioned Bonjour. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, Bonjour is the local sharing. So so it's probably grabbing the uh, here's another thing you can set. And that's the machine name. So I figured up oh, maybe uh, maybe his daughter named it, you know, her. Sure. And so where do you find that? Well, you go into system preferences. And it's in sharing and you will see something uh, and it's it's been called different things. Now it's called computer name. And even under it, it says computers on your local network can access your computer at, and in my case, it's JB Mac Mini. And I'm like, oh, well, well that's probably not it. <clears throat> and why do I say that? I, I should actually go to the troubleshooting that I tried to do. So I looked at my installation of messages, and I went to the same place that he looked, the account info, and it said other people will be able to find you as, now this, this is and isn't a surprise, uh, John F. Braun. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, well, wait a second, where on my machine Am I John F. Braun? Because my account name is John Braun. I don't put the F in there. I don't know why I don't, but I don't. <laughs> but this helped. So I looked there. Nope. That, that wasn't it. Hmm. Um, so where or, or else no, is I, there to look? Well, and, and that was the thing. It's like, well, where do I use my full name? Oh, I know. And now it's called uh, Contacts or, in the past, Address Book. And Dave, I, maybe you know more about this. And I looked in there and John F. Braun was, was I, I brought up the John F. Braun card. And then I remembered back in the back of my mind, there's something that that application asks you to do. And, and I'm not sure how it does it if, when you're first setting up a machine. Maybe it just defaults to, uh, that's my question. But it was the card in context that I have marked as my card. 
So there's a card that is yours and it presumably has your information. Right. And various applications will latch onto this to do useful things. And one of them is messages Uh saying, oh, well, if your card is your card, then that's probably how you want your name to appear to other people, because we assume that that's you. Of course, the other things that are you are your account name, as, as we discussed, and the computer name. But those were not it. So as soon as I did this, so I created a new card and I called it New John. And then I selected that as my card and instantly in messages and that preference, it changed it immediately. So that was kind of neat that, that I got live feedback that what I found was, in fact, it that I didn't have to restart the app or restart or, or do anything that, that that was. So that was a nice touch. So I. At first, I, I, was, uh, I thought I was going to hit a dead end, but I didn't. So now the my card, though, I mean, does that, I, I guess when you if, if you install a, a machine fresh is. I, I don't think if you install fresh, I don't think you have a my card. That, that was my it's been so long. So I, I could be wrong on this, but uh, but it will sync it down from iCloud and, and all of that stuff if you do it fresh. But if you truly like fresh, fresh without starting with anything else. I don't think you have a my card. At least you didn't in the past. You have to go in and, and like you said, highlight a card and, and go to the card menu and huh. choose make this my card. Okay. Yeah. So I wonder if that field would be blank if you haven't yet chose a my oh. card or if it picks up another name to broadcast. Or, or it might tell you go set a my card. Oh, okay. I don't know. You know, it's actually that's that's worth testing with a guest user or a test user account, I should say. But you, you can tell uh, in a dress book. Yeah, the, the my card has like a little... It's like a generic avatar next to it that no other card has. It's like it looks like a little human head sort of nondescript thing. So. All right. Moving on to Louis. Louis writes. uh, I have a whole bunch of NAS volumes and my login items. Uh, Even though I selected the hide checkbox for each volume, they show up as opened windows whenever I boot my computer. Do you know any way to prevent the windows to open at boot time? It's no big deal, but I would expect the windows to be hidden since I used the hide checkbox. Of course, what he's talking about is in system preferences, users and groups, login items. You can list all the things that you want to uh, to have start up when you log in. And as we've mentioned in the past, they don't just have to be apps. They can also be um, uh, volumes, right? So network volumes, which is exactly what he's talking about. But next to everything, whether it's a network volume, an app, an I, a document, whatever it is, there is this checkbox that you can check labeled hide. And uh, the interesting thing is that hide checkbox really only works on apps, uh, it is meant to launch an app in the OS's hidden mode as though you launched the app and went to the app menu and chose hide. Um, so, you know, if you're launching mail, you go to the mail menu and you'll see an, an entry in there called hide mail it means the app's launching, but the window isn't open. This just simply does not work in the finder. So that's where uh, that that it doing it this way. There is no way um, that's the kind of the the long and short of it. There are other things you can do, though, uh, to mount volumes at startup. One of them is using a a piece of technology in OS X called AutoFS. And uh, there there was actually a great article on Low End Mac a couple of years ago about AutoFS, like a primer on AutoFS. 
And uh, it requires getting your hands dirty with the terminal a little bit, actually a little more than a little bit. You just got to be comfortable moving around there. But uh, but that will that will let you launch things or let you mount volumes. And actually, AutoFS will keep them mounted even if they they disconnect. So that can be a, a handy thing. I shared this advice with Louie and he came back and said, yeah, I didn't want to mess with the terminal. So I launched Automator and Automator has an action called get specified servers. And uh, you can just list servers in there and it'll have a mount them. And so now he has this automator action launch at startup run is, you know, it mounts his specified servers and then the automator action quits because it's done doing its thing. And so he said that has worked well. And now the windows don't all open. So I love it when there's multiple answers to a question and I love it when you folks find one of those. So that's a, uh, that's a good thing. Any, any thoughts on this, John, or are we ready to move on to Brian? Uh, auto FS, you said I did say auto FS. Yeah, that had a, it. I was actually looking because in the file system, I, I seem to recall something called FS tab. And actually, I, I found a file which has a humorous little message in it. I thought there was something in ETC that would, would list the, the this information here. And I actually found on my uh, podcast machine here a file in uh, ETC called FS tab.hd. And when I look at it, it says, ignore this file. This file does nothing, contains no useful data, and might go away in future releases. Do not depend on this file or its contents. That's it. Yeah, FS tab used to be the, the way that you mounted things in Unix. <laughs> I guess I guess it's doing it a different way. Uh, I'm not, I, I, I honestly thought it was still FS tab, but OS 10 might, might be kind of doing its own thing. So, I do not know. Ready to move on to Brian to Brian. Yep. And, and you know, I bet you, you, you were hoping that I'd have the question up in front of me and I do. Awesome. So Brian says, and this is a multimedia question. I like this one. So uh, get ready to press the button. Okay. okay. I, I, so Brian says, I have a late 2008 MacBook pro, which uh, is very close in vintage to mine. Though mine is an early 2008. Recently, it's been making this noise when I awaken it from sleep. Bad hard drive? Question mark. Uh, I'll, re- I'll read the rest. Can I replace this with an SSD? That's assuming that it's bad, I guess. If so, which brand or store offers the best price for a decent drive? Uh, I need around 120, 160 gigs. Thanks for keeping the show going. Well, you're welcome. All right. So you want to hear the sound, John? Yes. All right. Here we go. Ready? I think that's it, my friend. So what name that sound? <laughs> and that's a cool little sound. Now, you know, it didn't sound, it doesn't sound exactly like mine, but the rhythm of what it was doing did. And this is the DVD drive uh, exercising the eject machinery, I believe, or some, some machinery. I think it depends. But, I think, no, I, I think... Yeah, that's definitely the sound it makes when it ejects the disk. And I think what it's doing is, is it accesses the drive. It's uh, this has always been my assumption. I have no uh, confirmation on this, but but my assumption is, you know, when it goes to access the DVD drive, it first tries to spin it. If there's a disk in there, if there's not a disk in there, it, it tries to sort of see, is there a disk and we need to wake it up? And then if not, it spits it out. So it sort of goes through its gyrations. And, and uh, that's what I always assumed it was doing. 
that fits yeah. in my world. So, yeah. So basically, I got uh, got back to him. I said, "Well, number one, it, uh, I, I'm positive it's the DVD drive." And um, so then I was scratching my head and thinking, "Well, how, you know, how could I invoke this without waking the machine up?" <clears throat> Excuse me. So I have one piece of data that he hears this when he wakes the machine from sleep. So one is is normal, and my machine always does that. I think what threw him is that well, he's hearing multiple times. I never heard that sound before, so so I can understand that. But how do you get the machine to do this uh, under user control without having to wake it? And then there are a couple of ways. So one, or at least this does it for me, is that if you start up disutility, one thing that it does during its startup is it it tickles or whatever yeah. the DVD drive and it makes this sound. It's like that's a great the ejector or, or yeah. Well, it was the best tickles. No, I, I like it. It's it. perfect. Yeah. And, it, and right. it giggles. It makes a giggle sound, which. <laughs> Where are we going here? <laughs> okay. So uh, now here's a geekier way, though, to make this sound. Because then you got to start up and shut down disutility. That's kind of a pain in the neck. But then I remembered and did a little Google in here and, and found something. There's a way in the terminal. Do not fear the terminal. But you can do this. And it's thanks to a command, which I didn't really, I haven't really used too often, called, I believe, it's drutil. And if you do a man page on it, here's another tip. When you're in the terminal, type man space and then the name of something like drutil, and I got a man page on it. And the uh, description of what it does is interact with CD slash DVD burners. So this, this program is specifically for, for the drive. And the command that you can do to make the eject sound, that's why I'm, I'm tying this to eject is the command is drutil space tray. I'm not sure what the other options are. Space eject. And when you uh, do this, yeah. it makes the sound. So that's why I'm calling it the eject sound. I like it. Uh, yeah, I would call it the eject sound. Yeah. Drutil, oh yeah, you can do burn, eject, erase, info, list. Probably. Yeah, there's, there's tons of stuff. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, disk utility, like like many things in OS X, disk utility is just a nice face on a lot of different Unix commands. And and in fact, there's many more things you can do with the terminal commands than you can do with disk utility, like setting a cap on the size of a sparse bundle and, you know, lots of those different things. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Uh, speaking of setting a cap on the size of sparse bundles, uh, you know, that was one of our ways of limiting the size of time machine backups on network drives. But Snow Leopard, as longtime listeners will remember, ruined that because it would actually go in and strip that out of the sparse bundle and allow the sparse bundle to continue to grow. Lion and Mountain Lion do not do that. So if you do the trick where you set the size of a sparse bundle, and we'll find a link and put it in the show notes, uh, that should still continue to work. And it's a nice way if you have a network attached storage device like a time capsule or really anything uh, you can set the max size of the sparse bundle and effectively limit the available space for your time machine backups without having it just run rampant and take up all your space. So mountain lion and lion fix that. So, all right, moving on to Dave, not well, Dave says about twice a week, my computer will do something quite odd. That's even somewhat hard to explain. I'll be using an application, not the same one each time, and instantly I can no longer quit that application with command Q, nor bring any other application to the front. So essentially the app or 
any other becomes non-functional, even though the OS seems to be fine and working. It's like the OS stops bringing apps to the front. I know the two problems are related, quitting and using an app, and that I cannot use any application at all that's open unless I restart the computer, which does solve the problem. You, yes, I know this sounds really weird, but I'm stumped. Literally, in a nutshell, every app on the computer will still be operating in the background, but I can't actually use any of them. The console log really explains the situation. It says application isn't in uh, F permitted front ASNS. That sums it up. The app is fine, but not able to be used since it's not in the front. I see the app, but can't use it. Uh, any ideas, guys? It says on a late 2011 MacBook Pro with Mountain Lion. This never happened to me until Mountain Lion, though. Of course, this could be a problem with an app, too. I have seen this, and I have seen it pre-Mountain Lion, and I've seen it post-Mountain Lion. There are a couple of things that I have done to, uh, to kind of unstick this problem. They don't all always work, but in order, the things that I first try are um, command tab uh, to switch back and forth between apps. Uh, sometimes that will bring an app to the front. Uh, clicking on a different app, but of course Dave said he tried that, but if you folks see this problem, uh, I find that sometimes you know, I just have to like monkey with it. I can get an app in the front, but the window isn't highlighted. And so I can't interact with it. And I have to like click out maybe to the finder, to the desktop, and then uh, command tab my way back in or click my way back in. That sometimes works. If you can get the terminal open, uh, oftentimes the dock or the menu bar can have some process going that screws things up. Uh, so the trick is you want to kill off uh, and let the dock or the menu bar respawn. The dock is easy to remember. Uh, in the terminal, you type kill all, uh, which is the easy way of killing a process by name. Um, and in this case, you just type kill all space dock with a capital D, and that will kill the dock, and then the dock will relaunch. Sometimes that will fix this. Other times, the menu bar, but unfortunately, there's no process called menu bar. Here's a little trick that may be handy in other troubleshooting methods. John, do you know the process name for the menu bar off the top of your head? Menu bar? No. Menu no. bar? No, it's, it's system UI server. I, I know, right? Really obvious that that's your menu bar. That's your menu bar. So you do a kill all space and then it's system UI server, but you got to get capitalization right. So it's system with a capital S, UI, both capitalized, and then server with a capital S. So four capital letters, no spaces, Kill all, well, no spaces in that in that word. There's one space in the middle. Kill all space system UI server. Uh, and that, again, just like killing off the dock, it'll kill off your menu bar and then bring uh, everything back. And if you have third party stuff, it'll load up there. If you find that it's the menu bar that's doing it, take a look at your third party utilities that you have in there, because you may wind up with one that's either incompatible with Mountain Lion, maybe. And maybe that's why you're seeing this problem more now. Uh, or, you know, something else. So check that out. Lastly, and again, all of this is predicated on the ability to get to the terminal. If you have to shut down your Mac, uh, you know, just holding the power switch is probably, you know, one of the worst ways to do it. The worst is pulling the plug out of the wall. Holding down the power switch is, you know, second worst. Uh, the best way, of course, is restarting from the Apple menu. In the middle is a terminal command that's a little funky, but it's sudo, S-U-D-O, which gets you up as root and you have to be in order to do this. So sudo space shutdown, bear with me here, space dash R, which means don't actually shut down, but restart 
space now because you have to tell it when you want this to happen. Unix will let you schedule shutdowns and restarts, but you want it to do it now. So sudo space shutdown space dash R space now. And that will, in most cases, force all your apps to quit. They won't necessarily quit pleasantly, so you may lose data. Um, but uh, but at least your OS is shutting down properly and you're not getting that you know, weird caches, you know, you're going through a proper shutdown process. So that's my thoughts on this one. You got any thoughts, John? Totally out of left field. I love that you play left field. It's, it's your, <laughs> it's, it's like you're, you're a star of left field. Well, actually, huh? No, I'm going to tell you my thoughts here. So the message, so he did give us a, a, a console message here and it had something to do with a, a flag called F permitted front ASNs. Right. Okay. And now what that is, now you may ask yourself, what is F permitted front ASNs? What does this have to do with? And I'm going to tell you. Go. It has to do with Gatekeeper. Really? Yeah. I did a little little searching and I found a, a, a write-up here, which we'll link to. I'll link to. Better bookmark this. Uh, but basically it says, oh, it, it, and it, it was someone who was describing a problem that they had with a, not, not an app, but a Python script. And at one point what happened is he would, it, it would act up and he got this message in the console, which to me indicates that Gatekeeper is not happy about something. And it specifically says, you know, app whatever, try to be brought forward, but isn't in F permitted front ASN so denying. So it sounds to me like Gatekeeper is getting in the way and it's a piece of garbage. Okay, no, fair maybe enough. Not. So, so what you got to do, and then he goes into detail here, and I haven't actually tried this, but if you go to the, again, our friend, the terminal, this is just, this is a terminal show. I, I didn't know it would turn into that, but it is, because okay. every question has, has gone to the terminal, right? So far. So don't, far. Don't fear the terminal. Let's keep it up. <laughs> we need cowbell for that? That's the title of the show. Actually, totally. Right? I, I had actually already put that in as the title oh, of the okay. show when you said it earlier. But, uh, but anyway, but so it's yeah. SPCTL is the command. And of course, how do you learn what it does? Well, you do a man SPCTL. And what is this? Oh, hold on. Not found. Oh, I typed in Mac. You fat fingered it, didn't you? Yeah. Sec assessment system policy security. Now, actually, I probably wouldn't mess with this too much. But <laughs> one thing that is suggested is, well, two suggestions that were given in the article. One is you could disable protection. And by, to do that, you type SPCTL space dash dash master dash disable. I think that turns off uh, gatekeeper in general. Probably not something you want to do forever. <laughs> uh, and then, well, we'll have to find more information on this, or you or I will have to try to do this. Then it says, oh, well, the other thing you could do is uh, add the appropriate rule to allow this app to run. And I don't know how to do that. So, yet. All right. It take a bit of doing, but, but we gave you the command. We gave you a way to disable it to... Uh, yeah, it sounds to me like some flag, either that database is corrupted or some flag in the app. I, I, I haven't done enough work with Gatekeeper other than setting it, you know, to be either all none or in between. Uh, I haven't really done any work. Do you know if there's any, I mean, there has to be ways other than this SPCTL via the command line in order to, to fiddle with Gatekeeper. Maybe not. Well, there is that one option in uh, let's see. It's in system preferences. I believe it's security and privacy where you have allow applications downloaded from, and then you've got three, um, 
three options, Mac App Store, Mac App Store, and Identified Developers, and Anywhere. And I believe setting it to Anywhere, my understanding was that killed off Gatekeeper uh, from doing anything. So that, that would be an interesting test as to see if, that's, uh, if that solves it too without, without mucking with the terminal. Mm. Yavo, our first sponsor for this show is Gazelle. Gazelle.com, great place to go and sell your Apple uh, related or your Apple products, used Apple products, old stuff that you aren't using or might not be using soon. And the reason I say that is there's this event happening on uh, Wednesday morning in San Francisco, and uh, I'm actually heading out to it. I got uh, invited, so I'll I'll go ahead and do our our TML live coverage there. But um, of course, the rumors seem to think that it's going to be the iPhone five or the new iPhone. I'm not sure what the name's going to be, but that doesn't matter. Uh, if you are the type of person that would want to get an iPhone five and sell your iPhone, whatever that you have visit gazelle. I recommend visiting gazelle before the 12th. And here's why you put, you go to gazelle, you put in whatever device you have and type in, you know, and, and type in the condition and all this stuff. And it'll give you a price. Here's the trick. That price is locked for 30 days. So 30 days gives you time to get the new iPhone. And then you're, you know, you migrate over to the old one. Then you still have time. You send your old one into Gazelle and you get your money. But the thing is, you know, come ship date of this new iPhone, assuming that's what it is. You're not going to get the same price that you would today. So get on top of it, lock that in. And, and you know what? If uh, if you lock it in, you've got 30 days to send it in. If you don't send it in, it just cancels the order. It doesn't cost you anything, but at least you're locked in and ready to roll. So check it all out. Gazelle.com. You can sell other things there, too. Of course, iPods, um, they take MacBooks, they take iPhones, of course, iPads. So go ahead and check it out. Gazelle.com. Really, really simple interface. Uh, you just a couple of clicks and you'll have all your answers. So uh, so, yeah, check it out gazelle.com tell them we sent you they're good folks i've sold stuff to them and uh it's always gone very very smoothly so gazelle.com thanks for sponsoring the show all right ron has a question very interesting question ron says uh so we've, we've gone through some quick ones here right john so ron's ron's might stretch things out a little bit ron says I'm the fortunate owner of a new 15-inch MacBook Pro with a Retina display. And while it's the finest computer I've ever, I have ever owned, I've had a couple of weird occurrences. Yesterday, suddenly, I could no longer access the internet. I was on my home Wi-Fi network. Network Utilities said there was no problem, and I had a valid IP address. My Lion old MacBook Pro, my wife's Lion MacBook Pro, my iPad, my iPhone, all accessed the web without issue. Nothing connected from my machine. Not Safari, not Dropbox, not SugarSync. Safari started to access the URL. The blue progress bar started to move, then stalled indefinitely. I checked the firewall. I restarted. I reset the P. I reset Safari. I cleared cookies, caches, etc. I reset the PRAM. I reset the SMC. I started in safe mode. I repaired permissions. I restarted my modem and Airport Extreme. I spoke with Apple support. No luck to any of these. They kicked me up to an Airport Extreme specialist. While I was waiting, I accessed my test account. Uh, it seems in Mountain Lion, you can only get to it via safe mode. That seems weird. Uh, but the problem persisted there. 
I restarted into my main user account just as the support guy was speaking to me. And lo and behold, Internet came back. I have no idea what happened. Not even sure where to start other than the routine stuff and no idea why it recovered. It may be uh, true and unrelated, but uh, only my 10 put 10.8.1 MacBook Pro was affected. Interesting. Interested into your thoughts on troubleshooting this. Should it recur? P.S. How do I do a ping to a website? All right. So let's talk about this. I've seen problems like this before. And when it looks like everything is set, we have to take a step back and remember how the internet works and the internet works on IP addresses. You don't connect to computers by name. Your computer connects to other computers by number IP addresses, either IPV four or IPV six, which is, you know, sort of being migrated into our worlds here, but either way, it's a series of numbers. Well, you and I, we don't like to have to remember those numbers. So we use names like www.macobserver.com, but your computer doesn't connect to www.macobserver.com. It connects to the address that it translates from that name. And in order to do that translation, it has to check in with what's called a domain name server or a DNS server. Um, Actually, I guess it's a, yeah, whatever. Yeah. DNS server. If your DNS server is either not responsive or responding incorrectly, everything will stop working very, very quickly because it's kind of the system that everything is, you know, that's the linchpin here. If you would, when you have a problem like this, and when I have a problem like this, the first thing I do is I launch system preferences and I go into network and I go into, um, Uh, Let's see. Let me get there and make sure I get this right because it's sort of an interesting path. You choose your network device. So Ethernet or Wi-Fi, you click advanced and go to the DNS tab. It should be pre-populated with a gray DNS address. That's the one that your router has assigned to your computer. But you can put your own in here. And I highly recommend testing it with your own. Um, I the one that I always use because I can remember it very easily is Google's public DNS server, which is. 8.8.8. You guessed it. Eight. Four eights. Dots in the middle. Uh, I just put that in there. I hit the plus button. Put 8888 in there. 8888. Not the fifth one. Sorry. And uh, hit OK. Hit apply. Now my computer's using DNS uh, from Google. You can test this. uh, The easiest way to test it is in the terminal. Uh, with a command called NS lookup name system or name server lookup type NS lookup space. And then the address www.macobserver.com. It's going to give you a, probably a five line answer. Uh, first, it's going to tell you your server and address that should be in this case now, eight, 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 eight. But otherwise it's going to tell you what your domain name server is. And then it's going to give you, it's probably going to say non-authoritative answer. That's Okay. That means you're just checking your local DNS server and not the master for that domain. And that's normal. And then it'll give you the name back, which should be www.macobserver.com. And then the address there might be, it might say there's a canonical name and it might give you a couple of addresses, but you should eventually get to an address that, that works. Uh, If you're looking up macobserver.com, it should end in dot two one eight these days. So that's one way to test it. Um, as far as pinging, same thing from the terminal, except you're using the command P. 
ping P I N G. And you can put a name in there or a number. Um, if you know the number of a, of a server you want to ping, that's handy. You put that in and assuming the server responds to pings, it'll come back and start telling you how long each ping took. A ping is just how long it takes from a request from your computer to get to the remote computer and back. And that can give you an idea as to whether there's a connection difficulty. I will warn you one thing about ping. Once you start it, it will not stop on its own. So you're just going to see a terminal window filling up once per second with ping requests. Control C is the magic answer to stop it. So hopefully that helps you all troubleshoot this type of stuff when it comes in. Hopefully it makes sense from a sort of top level as to why DNS is really kind of the first thing to check because it's so important in everything. And if it craters, it doesn't matter how fast your internet connection is, it's just not going to work. So any thoughts on that, my friend? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, first, old fuddy duddies use NS lookup. You should get with the cool kids and use dig. Ah, uh, yeah, I do use dig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're it's, right. A, it's another command, and there may be a newer one. Mm. No, I think you're right, dig. Yeah, but dig gets weird. I'm, I'm, I'm used to, because I'm an old fuddy duddy. I'm used to the output from uh, <laughs> from NS lookup. And the other one, I thought you were going down this path, but you didn't. You you veered away at the last moment but there is a uh, network diagnostics oh in, that's uh, true yeah go ahead you, tell them about normally that. so here's what so if the mac detects a connection problem often you will get a dialogue saying well there's something messed up uh, i'm gonna run network can i run or i think it just starts running network diagnostics I, or i think it asks you it's like something's up can we run network diagnostics uh but you can invoke this manually, and how do you do this manually? And and uh, that's why I thought you were going down this path, Dave. So it's in the same place that Dave went, and that you go to System Preferences Network. But then on the bottom of the screen, you're going to see a button that says Assist Me dot dot dot, and you click on that, and at least on this machine, it'll say, "Oh, do you need some help setting up a network, or do you have some problems?" And uh, there's Cancel Diagnostics dot 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 and Assistant. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so you hit diagnostics and then you'll see something called network diagnostics starting to run. And it's going to ask you which interface to test and uh, tell you, is it your ISP? Is it the Internet? Is it the server? It, it does its best to guess where, where the problem resides. And uh, invoking that manually may. Well, certainly couldn't. Uh, hurt. No, that's a great helps, idea. It may help uh, and it may help identify which part of the network. Uh, though it sounds like what was already done was pretty methodical. Um, but, but this. Yeah. Can, uh, this helps guide you if you're not sure of the, the, the steps to take. Well, I, I, your uh, suggestion of staying in the graphical user interface reminded me of something else that lives in the graphical user interface, which is network utility. It lives inside applications, utilities. And uh, when you launch it, at least in Mountain Lion, it's got eight tabs at the top. One of them, the third, is ping. The fourth is lookup. And that's going to do these same lookups that we just walked you through in the terminal uh, without you having to go to the terminal and uh, shields you from the horror of the terminal. It's don't fear the terminal, man. Um, but uh, but that that actually is is probably the best way to go if you're not comfortable with the terminal. So uh, so definitely network utility is the uh, is the way yet again hitting the terminal here, John. This is uh, this is really funny. Because I I didn't even notice it as I was putting the agenda together, which is which is even better. So cool. Are we ready for Ralph? <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Let's do Ralph. I don't know if we have an answer, but hey, 
All right. Hi, John and Dave. There we go. So, so I've heard of very little. Oh, all right. I got to digest this or parse this. Uh, so I've heard of few issues with Mountain Lion and decided to upgrade my late 2008 MacBook Pro 5, 5,1. Um, seems fine until last night when I was watching a screencast online video. The machine stuttered, had an error, and shut down on its own. Ooh. Wow, that's bad. <laughs> After that, it seemed okay. Today, however, whenever I log in and use an admin account, it seems to log me out automatically after only a couple of minutes. Strange thing, if I log in using my wife's admin account, no issues. I upgraded right on top of an existing Lion OS. I'm thinking about uh, wiping the drive and doing a fresh install. Uh, before I do any ideas, what could be causing this auto logout issue? I've included the error reports uh, and included some crash reports and panic reports. Um, thanks, Ralph. Uh, I didn't see anything in the reports, Dave. No, I didn't either. And I tried to lead him down one path, but uh, I don't know. I think he came up with anything. But in the console, which isn't the terminal, but you shouldn't be afraid of that either. So in the console... Uh, you may see reasons for a shutdown, and I certainly did. So I did a, a search in my console and typed in, uh, in the find field, I typed shutdown. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, when the Mac is doing a shutdown, it may log that. And in my case, it said, uh, I found a line. It said, you know, here's the time and date stamp, shutdown, halt by John Braun, which is my account name. And then it says shutdown time. Now, I didn't look at the lines surrounding that, but that gives, that gives you a place to start because uh, the, the lines surrounding that may show reasons for the shutdown. Now, in this case, it's pretty straightforward. You know, it said halt by John Braun, which means that the, the admin, which is me, invoked halt, sure. saying shut down. And it's like, oh, okay, this is, the, the, this is the, the person responsible for it or account or process. So, but he didn't find anything related to that. Um, the only other thing is that the Mac can appear to have a life of its own, a mind of its own. Uh, but he didn't find anything here either. So it's so two strikes. But it may help other people solve a problem like this. System preferences, energy saver. There's a schedule button. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really use this, but some people may. Uh, <laughs> you know, you want regularity in your life. Uh, but uh, click on schedule. Uh, you can tell your Mac to, um, in this case, shut down at a certain time. Or you can also tell it to, uh, I believe, most Macs, most recent ones, maybe not the, the older ones, uh, to start up at a certain time. Isn't that fun? So you, could, uh, so you could freak out either your family or your friends in that you can, you know, appear to be commanding your Mac from afar and telling it to turn on when you're not touching it. I, um, but he didn't see anything because I think it's possible that there could have been entries made in here that would cause the machine to shut down when it seems that it shouldn't be. But that wasn't it either. So two right, strikes. Right. Sorry, Ralph. Um, you- no, I was going to say I use the schedule thing for uh, on the machines that I know I want to have run uh, like scheduled syncs or, or whatever. I, I make sure the machine is awake to do that. A lot of backup software actually will kind of manage that on their own. But uh, but you can you can do that here, too. Uh, One other thing, you know, he said he was watching a video when the machine stuttered and it's a it's a laptop. So I might make the assumption and I'm going to make the assumption, at least for the sake of this discussion, that perhaps it was on his lap Uh, running a video. Likely is going to tax either the graphic processor or the main CPU to decode that video and display it on the screen. 
I know Don does everything in HD. Uh, so that Don McAllister, that is of uh, screencast online. And so it's possible that he was running a video that was in some way taxing his system. When your system is taxed, especially your CPU or your graphics processor, when any processor is taxed, it starts to heat up like it's supposed to. And the Mac has its own cooling stuff. But, you know, Steve Jobs was crazy um, in, in this in this case, in a very good way. He didn't want, you know, battle fans on this thing. But that means that it is more susceptible to overheating, especially if a you are uh, insulating the bottom of it with your legs. And then, of course, b adding your own body heat to the mix from your legs uh, or even worse, if you're in bed and you have it like on top of the covers, it totally insulates it and can make it so the machine cannot cool itself down fast enough. When your Mac gets to the point where the CPUs are reporting temperatures outside of their operating ranges, your Mac will shut down. Uh, it's its way of saving itself from burning itself out. Essentially, you don't want to cook one of your processors. And the way to save it is to ju just shut down. Um, I think when that happens, usually when that happens, you get a message as to why that's happening. But it's possible that it's just going to do it and say, nope, I'm done. And uh, so that, you know, that, that, that I think is what was going on with the, with the first one. It's summertime, you know, it's, it's warmer out, might've been warm in your house, uh, you know, no ambient cooling happening. So that, that was my thought for that. As far as the auto logout of the admin account, that's really weird. That's one I would watch the terminal from. Um, this is, <laughs> here we are in the terminal again. Uh, this is one of those situations where I love having either another Mac or just my iOS device around. I log in with a terminal program uh, remotely. Now to do this, you have to go into system preferences sharing and turn on remote login. Um, and then you can use a command called SSH. And in fact, it'll put the command to access that Mac right there in the sharing preference pane. So mine says, you know, type uh, SSH Dave at iMac studio. And then that would let me, cause I'm in the studio on this one here. And then that would let me connect to it either from another Mac or uh, you could do it. I use ISSH on my, excuse me, on my, on my iPhone and my iPad. And it's really handy at that point to watch uh, one of the system logs. Now this starts, you think we were geeky before I use a command called tail. Um, and I would do tail dash F I think. And it's going to be slash var slash log slash system, right? System.log. That will show you the system log and anytime anything's added to it, it will just keep scrolling. The tail command just follows it along. Um, and so you can watch that. And then when you see your machine log out, take a look at the system log and see what it says. It's going to tell you, you know, you're probably going to get something in there, but that's the way to watch the, the console from remote. It would be cool if the console app had a way to do that from remote. And maybe it does. But I, I have never looked for it. So, thoughts on that, or is it time to move on to uh, Sam? Sam? Yeah. All right. Ready? Ready? No. All right. Uh, I think so. Yeah. All right. Cool. Sam writes. Sam, of course, is uh, our friend from the uh, UK, who we mentioned in the last show as Spam uh, in the chat room. He says, I'm just moving to Mountain Lion on all of my Macs, resorting things out, and I'd like to know what you think about archiving. When do you choose to take a document off of a drive or machine that is regularly in service and commit it to an archive? 
I have to say over the years with drives getting bigger and bigger, archiving hasn't been an issue. If I keep the file on the main drive, I know that it's being regularly spun up and backed up in multiple locations. And then I feel safer than committing it to a drive on a shelf. As one backup, their archives. When do you stop? Uh, as I work with large audio and video files, the need for keeping myself in order and having as little on my current drive as possible is really important. Yet I need to have older projects at hand easily. Should I need to recall anything? I wonder if I can do something clever with a NAS with drive redundancy, like the Synology unit you had to archive off to, but keep a copy available that I could access over the internet. If I was away from home, rather than try and solve my particular issue, I thought it would be really useful to have a geek discussion over what various people are doing, particularly people that work with large files and projects that have to regularly choose what to offload, where and how. All right. Um, I'm sure we're going to pass this around and have different opinions on this, John. Um, as far as like regular work documents, I'm sort of in the, the drives have been getting larger and it doesn't matter category. I still do backups, obviously, and I still do quarterly archives where I just take everything and archive it off and then don't touch it again so that I've got these pictures of the past, if you will. But, um, but as far as, but there are those things like the iPhoto library and all the raw audio files from the geek cab, right. That I need to save somewhere. And I've actually been using the NAS drives for that because I can just keep dumping storage at them. And the nice part about them, you said you wanted to access from the internet. Well, with something like this Synology disk station, that's really, really easy. There's many different ways I can use their cloud station. Um, I can just use their file browser and browse any file on there from my iPhone or, or my Mac. I can access it that way. And, uh, and so that keeps the data out there. And then I added the third party crash plan, uh, client or I guess it's a client to my disk station. And so any data I put out there, I can specify which directories get backed up to crash plan. So I dump stuff to the crash to the disk station. Then it takes care of offsite backup, backing it up and, and it's on all the time. So I don't need to worry about is my Mac awake and, and this, that, and the other thing. So that's, um, that's, that's how I do it. Uh, because there are those things that just get big, you know, photos and pictures or uh, photos and music and especially video. But, uh, you know, I used to use DVDs for that. I've become, weary of trusting DVDs that I'm not reading regularly, putting something on the shelf and leaving it for years is a surefire way to ensure that it will not work when you try to access it years down the road. So I try to keep all my archives in active media that I'm regularly accessing so that I know I have a way of getting to it when I need to. And it's not in some stasis point that might not be stasis. That's my thoughts on it. John, what do you got? I do pretty much what you do, at least for some things. So yeah. uh, the largest storage I have is the uh, Drobo FS. And right now I think I have about four terabytes. Um, terabytes? Never thought I'd be saying terabytes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is nowhere near full. I'm looking at it right now and I have two LEDs lit up, uh, two of the blue LEDs. So it means I, I'm using about 20%, I think, of uh, the available space. But what I do is, so I, I copy it. So all of my... Um, movies I have on the NAS, uh, pictures, uh, which are either standalone or typically, uh, like a aperture vault or an iPhoto vault. So, all right. So we have the uh, video, 
um, images. Uh, let me, uh, I'm looking here, iTunes. So I'll back up my iTunes library. So normally I keep my iTunes library on my Mac mini for all my devices um, and, and music. So that's all in one place, but I back it up to the NAS as well. And then, uh, of course, Time Machine on, on both of them and then using various, uh, you know, third-party things like uh, I, I'm on the Crash Plan trial as well. Though the one I rely on most, I think the one I like the most and, and I actually had to get working, and maybe I'll talk more about this later, but uh, SugarSync I like to back up key documents to the cloud as well. So it may not sound like there's much um, order or logic to <laughs> what I said, but it works for me. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, well, that that's it. Is you find what works. Yeah. Yeah, but mostly for for large inactive files or blobs of data, I like to toss them on the NAS because I trust that. Uh, and then typically, I don't create another copy of those because I figure the media is so, well. Now, in a sense, I do. That's right, because they're in a library, but then I also copy them on the NAS. So they're at least in two places. So, Cool. Uh, and the cloud. And the cloud. Yeah, right. The, right. Yeah. Can I tell you what, what, what grief I had with them? Yeah, tell us your tale of woe, man. Because I think you've been through it, too, and it was really bothering me. And I, 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 so uh, Sugar Sink. Oh, let, me, uh, let me see if I can get that article. I'm unprepared. Oh, gosh. That's all right. Well, no, you, call, I, you called an audible. I, so it's, you know, it's all right. You want me to, you want me to share uh, a tip with them while you find it? Oh, no. So, so what okay. was happening? So Sugar Sync was a, it seemed after one point in time, all of a sudden my MacBook Pro, uh, the uh, Sugar Sync stopped working. It would launch and then it would quit. I would see the UI come up. And I was like, what, what is going on here? And so I searched around, searched around online. And then I dug into the terminal. And this, I, th- I think, was the key here. And then I dug into, or I'm sorry, the console. And I saw something happening when the machine was starting up. It would say something along the lines of permissions on this file are suspect or suspicious. Uh, I'm not going to launch it. And I'm like, huh? And it was something called, uh, and this is something the SugarSync uses, that then it, uh, I started seeing the light, and it's a process called S-C-X-F-S-M-O-N-D, which I guess is their background daemon. I don't know why it's not called SugarSync. Well, that would know. be obvious. Well, what's, what's S-C-X-F-S-M-O-N-D? <laughs> but that's them. So, um, and actually go, searched around for that term and found other people had the exact same problem. And I think one of the... Um, you know, one of the articles was actually, you know, Sugar Sync crashing after I upgraded to Lion. So I think it had something to do with Lion and maybe something to do. I still think that maybe they, they worked something in their installer. Well, uh, but it works fine on my other machine. Yeah, I still don't get it. But I looked it up and basically someone said, ah, you know, I had the same problem and there's a couple of things you could do. So one was to chmod, I think, on the um, SCXFSMOND file. And for those of you that don't know, again, now we're back to the terminal, right? Uh, chmod changes the permissions of a, the, the, the POSIX permissions, which is the plain old, uh, plain old standard Unix. I forget what POSIX stand for. Anyway, it lets you change the Unix permissions of a file. So there were two things. Uh, I have the article on the machine that I think is almost dead. Um, let me see if I can bring it up. But it, it suggested two things. And between these two things, everything was fine. So one was the chmod. I think you had to bring it to 644. I think I think it was 666. Okay, uh, yeah. But so whatever. Sixes, console- uh, sixes are read, write, and execute. I think 644 or fours are 
read and execute. Uh, not here's write. the article. Okay. All right. Now I'm back on track here. Now, um, sorry about that. All right. So the, here are the two fixes that worked for me. So one was sudo chmod644. I'm sorry, to the plist file that launches this thing. And that's in library launch daemons com.sharpcast.xfsmon.plist. So doing a chmod on the plist file. I'm sorry, not the, the file itself, but the file that launches it. Uh, that was suspect. And then the other thing, there was another suggestion later in the article. I had to do this as well in that the, um, the group that it belonged to, I think it was under admin or, or the owner, that was also broken. So the owner should be, or, or it seems to help, at least in my case, if you change it to root colon wheel. Mine was root colon admin. Oh. So, so basically what was happening is there were problems with this plist file. All of a sudden, something bad happened, and a lot of people were not able to run SugarSync anymore because this plist file wouldn't invoke this XFSmond uh, daemon properly. And then once I did those two things, then everything worked fine. Cool. It was bugging me. And I went, I, you know, I tweeted it out. I went to their support. I didn't get, I saw some mentions in, in their data. I just can't imagine that I'm the only one that had that problem. You, you are not, actually. I had oh. the same problem. And here's the really frustrating part about it. I went through uh, SugarSync support and finally got to the point where I did a remote access session with them. And it was on this machine. It was on the, on the studio machine here. Exact same problem, exact same solution. The really funny part is when I first started having this problem, I looked in the console log, I saw that message and we talked about it. You and I did. And I have no idea why I didn't think to go muck with those permissions then. And so we, you know, I, I went around and around and around. All my other machines were working. Same exact situation that you went through. And, uh, and this one would not do it. And, and then as we were doing the, the support thing, he brought up the, he did a lot of things and then he brought up the log. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh yeah, I've been here before. I'm like, dude, do we just need to change the permissions on this? He's like, yeah, that's going to be the problem. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, you know, exactly, exactly what you went through. So it's weird. Um, but anyway, you're not alone, my friend. I do have some clarifications to make so that uh, we can make them in this show and not the next show. POSIX is mm -hmm. a portable operating system interface. Uh, I'll thank that Michael in the chat room for that. And then uh, Unix permissions uh, four is read only six uh, adds write ability. So uh, two would be write ability four is read only. And so together they are six execute is a single uh, bit. So if you want to add execute, it would be seven. So when you say it was six, four, four, that means the owner of the file can read it. The group members and anyone or everyone has uh, sorry the the owner can read and write to it everyone else only has read access to it that's what 644 does so just to get those clarifications out there i found a nice little uh permissions calculator and so i put that so in i the, think uh, what it was doing so something in the os was saying you know what these permissions seem too generous so i think somebody's trying to hack you so i'm just not going to launch this yeah and that it was seeing that that groups that it, it, it didn't think should have right access had right access. Because, yeah, now that I think yeah. back, I think I saw mine was 666. Yeah, and it didn't want and, to. And it's smart of the system to not want to run a file that can be written to by everyone. Because the, the risk is what you could do is this, this process is going to be run with uh, either full permissions on the system or some sort of 
uh, enhanced permissions on the system and able to it's able to delete files and, and do some, you know, some potentially dangerous things. The issue is if the file is set as write uh, writable by anyone, it's possible for someone else to go and edit that script and change what it does. And then the system's just going to automatically launch it when it comes back up. So the system's smart enough to check and say, hey, wait a minute, that file's writable by the world. I'm not going to run it because I, you know, we have no idea who has touched it last. So that's, that's what's going on here. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So fun stuff. All right. We got time for some tips, Sean. Uh, I'll read Scott's first and then, and then uh, you've got, you've got a couple here. We've got some good stuff here. We've got a, we've got a follow-up from Scott uh, for show 413. We talked about Java and jar files and things like that. And uh, Scott offers some clarification for us that I wanted to pass along. Scott says the dot jar file is a, is actually a zip file that contains the Java bytecode program and any resources necessary to run the Java program. Think of the dot jar file as an app package that is not a directory, which is really, really smart, right? The, the, there needed to be a portable way that worked on multiple operating systems to have what we know on OS 10 as a package. Now, of course, in OS 10, the package is a folder and that presents some weird problems, right? Because, you know, when you try to move it to different file systems, it can break and you can have some problems. So, uh, so the Java folks uh, that, that came up with this idea said, well, let's just use a zip file. Every OS will see it as a single file, but really it's just a, a collection of all these things and you can compress it. So good. And then he says for lion and mountain lion, Java is not allowed to start by default. And in mountain lion, you have to actually download Java from Oracle uh, in order to allow Java, close your browsers and any other program that requires it in the finder, go to applications utilities and find the app called Java preferences. Double click that icon and start the program under the general tab at the top. There is a checkbox to enable Java. Click it and you're done. You will not have to do this again unless you disable Java because of a security bug. Uh, that's true, but I think, and I think this started in Lion, but it's certainly true in Mountain Lion. If you don't use Java for a period of time, and I think it's a month, it, that checkbox will disable on its own. So if you're not regularly running it, it will turn itself off. Or the OS will turn it off. Uh, and that's a security measure. They th they, the, the concept being, if you're not regularly using Java, you probably don't need it. And so let's close this security hole and at least make it so that you have to go and enable it. And the OS will give you a little message and you just say, yeah, enable it. I want to use it for whatever app this is. But if you're not using it, it turns it off to keep it from running without your knowledge. Just smart. I think that's a good way to do security balances, convenience and protection. You got some tips for us, John? I got a tip here. So th there was something that you've mentioned in the past, Dave, where I, I thought you were insane or, or hallucinating or something. Well, I, I was, and I am now, but that's, good, that's a different story. Good. Yes. Uh, but you had made mention, I think, in the past that application, some applications would quit themselves if they, if they were in the background for a certain amount of time. And I'm like, huh, well, I've never seen that. <laughs> And and I think I found out why. So I actually came across it in um. Why was I looking for? This? Oh no, I was going into secrets. 
Secrets is my favorite prep pane because it, it, it tells you all sorts of secrets. So these little things you can set in the terminal for the most part. And they also offer a prep pane that makes it a little less dangerous to do what they suggest. Um, but apparently I had the setting looking in the secrets pane. And I don't know if, if I intentionally set this or it just happened to come up that way. But my system was set up not to do this. And that there was a, uh, and I'm trying to find the name of the feature here, but I also found an article. So, so there's also an article on the web that tells you how to do this uh, in OS 10. Hence article called Disable Automatic Application Termination in OS 10. And the other way to do it, and this is secrets uh, ties into to this often, uh, the terminal. <laughs> so what you would do is you would go to the terminal and you would say defaults, write, dash G, NS, disable automatic termination, dash bool, true and the good news is you don't and, have to remember that because we have you found a mac os 10 hints article that that yes that talks about it so i'll put that in the show notes and it's also a, a option in secrets and mine was checked so that's why i i it just didn't register when you said you thought you saw this happen i'm like i've never seen that happen and and the thing is i haven't <laughs> huh interesting Interesting, but it's but it's interesting how they they hide it, and there's no way for the user normally, unless right. you just listen to this and get it uh, to do this. And I don't know, I you know, I mean, it, it, is this something that people would want to enable? Actually, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, do you find it useful that it does this way when you do notice that it's happening? Or I like it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I because I I am of the the school of thought that uh, OS 10 is not great at managing memory to the point where you can just leave all your apps open all the time and let it figure it out. I, I want to quit apps that I'm not running. And, and, uh, and I even do that on my iMac with 12 gigs of Ram and it, it pays off. So I highly recommend it, but especially when you're podcasting, it's really important. Mm-hmm. Yavo. All right. Uh, we had a note uh, from Tom on, on Twitter and Tom said, uh, you know, we were talking about guest login on our uh, mountain lion machines and it being enabled. And uh, Tom said uh, he found an article that says allowing guest login allows the enables the find my Mac service of iCloud. And it's a, an Apple support article uh, talks all about this stuff. But that may very well be why the guest accounts were enabled, because when you enable find my Mac, uh, it, it turns this on. Now, one thing that's interesting that I found in this article, uh, if you have file vault on and guest users uh, enabled, what it says is when file vault is turned on, guest users can only log in and use Safari. Guests can't access your file vault encrypted disk or create files. Instead, they log in and use Safari from your computer's built in recovery disk. Um, and one of the reasons it does that is it, uh, an, it allows find my Mac to work because when somebody launches Safari, it's accessing the internet and your Mac can phone home to Apple and then you can use the find my Mac service. So that, uh, is, that is, that is how that works. It's a, you know, honeypot, if you will, right. And then we call honey, honey trap. What do we call that, John? We're, uh, you know, sort of, I guess maybe it's not a honeypot, but it's a way of honeycomb. I, mean, honeycomb I don't know what it is. It's 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 a it's something funny, honey. Um, but it's your Mac's way of, ph- of phoning home to Apple. So, uh, so I found that's, that very interesting. 
Yeah, I found it interesting. I also found that it's wrong. Okay. In that, my MacBook Pro is running Mountain Lion. Yes. Find My Mac is enabled. Okay. And the guest user is disabled. But did you disable it? Yes. Well, that, okay. I got, what, what, what I guess I want to make clear is that it's not necessary to have the guest user activated in order for Find My Mac to work. And have you confirmed this, that Find My Mac works? Yes. All right, good. Yes. Cool. Yes. Now, here's what, what I did, though, because, yeah, I was discussing this with, uh, was it Tom? It was Tom. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm almost positive that, though, uh, you know, I was, I was tweeting at work. Uh, not that I tweet at work. Well, sometimes. <laughs> it was during lunch. Right. I was taking my, my, my lunch Twitter break. Of course so. it was. <laughs> so. And he said, you know, I'm almost positive that I have it on on my machine and the guest is off. And so I looked at my machine when I got home. And I looked in Find My Mac and there was a little warning sign next to it. So first I looked to make sure the guest was off and guest was off. Then I went to Find My Mac and noticed that there was a little warning sign or like a little caution, you know, three-sided yellow thing. Yeah. Which indicated that it wasn't quite working. Well, here... So you may be thinking, oh, well, duh, John, that's because the guest user was off. No, it's because location services was off. Oh, right. So I went to location services, didn't touch the guest user. The guest user was not turned on and eventually uh, find my Mac uh, because it uses Wi-Fi for positioning. Right. So sometimes right, right. that takes longer than a GPS enabled device like an iPhone. That, sure. That. So and eventually, you know, it's funny because I actually... I think I clicked on a checkbox somewhere once I tried to do this and it said, oh, would you like me to email you once I do find your computer? I'm like, dude, that's so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's it did. Great. Once the, once the Wi-Fi uh, location service uh, kicked in. Now, what I did notice, though, is that if you turn off, did my voice just, oh, gosh. No, you're okay. I'm, I'm out of liquids here. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, we're, we're, almost, we're almost done. Yeah, I know. Okay. We're, we're in the home stretch. Here. That's right. <laughs> but, um, but what I noticed was, oh gosh, lost my train here. So, so I was finding, oh, I'm sorry. If I turned off, so if I went and turned off location services, through, uh, so it was iCloud, system preferences, iCloud. If I turned off Find My Mac and then turned it back on, that would activate the guest user. So I'm wondering if the guest user on is, is not a requirement, but a side effect of I, fiddling with I Find My Mac. I think that's probably right. I think side effect. And I is think a it's perfect. a fight effect. And so I'm actually kind of concerned because I think when we started talking about this or people started making us aware of this, the thing is, I think in general, having the guest user on is probably a bad thing if you don't know that it's on. And in this case, it turns it on really without telling you. Yeah, but I think if you right? turn on, I, I agree with that. Yes, it turns it on without telling you without question. But. I think if you use file vault, which I highly recommend to anyone using a laptop because it, it works so well in, uh, in lion and later file vault two is this, you know, the whole disc encryption. Um, it keeps your machine secure, but it also, if you're using file vault, you know, as I explained it, it's very, what the guest user can do is very limited. And, uh, and so it's really not a risk to have it on cause it's not even, um, it's not even decrypting your, your main partition. So that's a good thing. And the other good thing is that the band was ready to roll. Right, John? I'm ready to roll. 
All roll right. out of here. <laughs> Before we roll out of here, we got to prime the pump here and uh, get more uh, help you folks. Help us help you. Help us. Uh, yeah. Help and you. One way you could do that is <laughs> you could, we could tell you how to get in touch with us. And, uh, and I'd say the easiest way is to send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. John, you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <sighs> yes, I did say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And if you're a premium supporter, premium at MacGeekGab.com is for you and will always be for you. I will want to. I do. I will. I do. I am going to say something about premium. Uh, we had said that part of the the you know the, the premium trends, the, the changes in premium uh, have happened in a kind of uh, elongated transition here, and we are in the home stretch of it. We've obviously got the new back end for TMO up. The premium there is actually at this point in time no way to purchase a new premium subscription, and that's because we're moving to a different system. We needed to have the new TMO backend live and online, and now we're uh, finishing that up. It's actually very very close, but we want to make sure we get it right because we're dealing with you know your personal information and and all of this stuff. So uh, we've you know we've got our EV uh, SSL certificate and all that, but the the engine we, we're just. Honestly, we're, we're over-testing this thing is what's happening. So hopefully, I, I would say Monday or Tuesday, this thing should come online. Uh, but we're not going to roll it until it's ready. Uh, I know that uh, it is what it is. We just we want to make sure it's right. So um, so keep stay, 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 uh, stay tuned and, and stick no. around uh, next Sunday. Those of you that are in the chat room with us, I think we're going to have a fun little announcement, um, actually a fun big announcement, and, and you can take part in that and perhaps uh, you might even win things. So, uh, But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that on Sunday, that, but uh, if you're there, you'll be the first to know about it. So, Do not send anything to feedback. Feedback. Oh, that'd be funny. And now no. I'm going to have to put that in as, the, as an alias, aren't I? You can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. It sure is. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab. You can leave us iTunes comments on iTunes, to which we have no way of responding. And, uh... (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. I like that ringing endorsement. Did you like that? Yeah. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. It's a great place to... uh, to know when we're going to do these live streams, but uh, but also just interact with us and and, uh, and all sorts of good stuff. Tell them about Twitter, John. It's a service. <laughs> Tell them how to find us on Twitter. I'm John <laughs> Efron. Awesome. He's Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. The f- podcast is Mac Geekab, and the publication is Mac Observer. Outstanding. We would like to thank Michael Johnston. He uh, is the host of the We Have Communicators podcast, but he also is the one who converts this show to AAC for you and for us every week. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. Of course, this podcast was sponsored by Gazelle. Also in the podcast marketplace is Barebone Software and Smile Software. All through Back to the Media. A successful show. Our voices uh, seem to hold out this morning, John. That was good. We're going to see everybody in a week, but John, do you have any perhaps lasting advice you might want to share? 
lasting. It's eternal. And don't get caught. Made up. I think we got caught. I think the, the outro got cut off. I heard something. Yeah, I heard something drop out. That was, that was interesting. We, uh, well, I don't know. 